Hey, my name is Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, thanks so much for the welcome. It's interesting. Uh, my wife and I, we live in Paiatua, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> See, I'm after some sympathy right at the beginning here. But there's one thing I'll say about living in Paiatua, because I come over to uh, Palmerston North, because I work at the Palmerston North Hospital, uh, about three times a week. And uh, now every time that I'm coming to Palmerston North, I get to the top of the track, and there's this beautiful view. There's this view of Palmerston North. (laughs) (laughs) And it takes me back to something that Ruben said a couple of weeks ago. And he challenged me, and I guess he challenged you if you listen to it. He said, if everybody in this church saved one person a year, and then those people saved one person a year, within seven years, we could save this city. And that really, really hit me, eh? And it's been great here today, and we've, we've heard about people who have come to know Jesus, and they've given us their testimony, and people who are working to bring people to God. This is called everyday missionaries, eh? So it's not necessarily about the people who are called to do work for God. It's about us. It's about us. One person a year. And then all of us again saving one more person a year. And within seven years, you save a city. Man, that's amazing. That is incredible. For you you who don't know me, my name is Grant McCulloch. And like I've said, I'm a nurse at uh, Mid-Central Health. I work for the pain team, so you don't really want to see me, but... <laughs> As I look around, there's people that I've nursed here. Some have fallen off motorcycles. Andy, if he's here. <laughs> and, um, but that's just what I do three days a week. But my wife, Val, over there, um, and myself, in Paiatua, we run a supported living place, Oak Tree Lodge. We have people come and live with us. It's a residential facility. People who are broken or going through really tough times in their lives, they've got all mixed up in stuff that's just not helpful. And they just need to come somewhere and, and sort themselves out. And we offer them that opportunity. We work with them. And we pray with them. And we help them. We lead them to Jesus. Because let's boil it all down. It's not us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, someone comes to know God and we feel pretty good about it if we've had our hand in it. But it's Jesus that saves them. He does the work, eh? And we get to walk with him and help him and be his, uh, his feet and his hands in this world. really want to thank the elders of this church. They're awesome. 
I don't know if you know that, but they're awesome people when they touch base with us and they pray with us. And as we attempt to do what we do, they stand alongside us and that helps. That really helps. So thank you. Hey, let's read this story. As I've been preparing for this, you know what? Uh, It's just hit home to me that this is an actual true story. You see, it's so easy to speak about parables because parables are a story that is designed to get across a point. But this is an actual story. And sometimes it's just so real. And sometimes it's just so clunky. And sometimes it it would be better if it just said something else. It would be so much easier. (laughs) But you just have to deal with it. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4. And my Bible heads up as Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. So let's start reading. Reading's not my best thing, but hey, I'll do what I can. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned this, He left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because the Jews don't associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank of it from himself, uh, drank of it himself? as did his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he would explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jars, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and they made their way towards him. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We now believe because we have heard for ourselves and we know this man is really the saviour of the world. Man, it's an amazing story, isn't it? Eh? It's an amazing story. One woman, a Samaritan woman, and the impact that she had through belief in Jesus. <clears throat> the first thing that we realise here is the word right at the beginning where Jesus said that he had to go through Samaria. You see, even just a, a casual reading of how people went from Judea to Galilee would tell you that, well, there was another way. In fact, there was a preferred way to go if you were a Jew. You kind of went east through Perea and up into Galilee and the reason that you did that was because that you wanted to um, bypass Samaria. You don't want to go to Samaria. You see, the Jews didn't really like the Samaritans. And I've kind of understated it there a little bit. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And kind of everybody knew that. And it was kind of with good reason. You see, some things that happened in their life and in the life of their nation which made Jews despise Samaritans. I wonder if you're here and um, you hate uh, people reminding you of bad things that you've done. Any husbands? <laughs> but, but there's just nothing quite like it, is it? You know, a constant reminder of something that you've done wrong. 
It's interesting because in Israel's history, at one time, they weren't really um, doing what God wanted them to do at all. In fact, they were deeply in sin, and God came to them as a nation, and he tried to turn them back to himself, but they were unrepentant. And so Jesus sent the Assyrian army uh, to conquer them. And he took uh, people into exile, Jews into exile, and he brought Assyrians in uh, to repatriate that land. And over the centuries, they intermingled and, and they bred, and that was the Samaritan nation. So if you were a devout Jew and you looked at the Samaritan, it reminded you of your history where you as a nation turned your back on God and wouldn't listen to him. There was a little bit more uh, re recent stuff than that, 200 years uh, before uh, Jesus turned up. The Seleucians took over Israel. And, and they were Greeks, and um, they made Jews bow down to their gods or else they killed them. But the Jews held fast, and they didn't adopt the Jewish gods. Not so the Samaritans. The Samaritans embraced their culture. They set up their own, a temple to Zeus on Mount Gerzim. And so that was another reason why the Jews, they just didn't like the Samaritans. It was cultural. It was on both sides. And there was kind of some fairly strong reasons for it. But Jesus said that he had to go to Samaria. I wonder if you're sitting here today and you believe in divine appointments or God moments. I do. I believe in those. You see, Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment to see a lady at a well. And that's awesome. It's so awesome to believe that Jesus was going through Samaria to meet with this lady. He purposed to go. So what we see is Jesus at the well. He's just sitting there. The disciples have gone to buy food and he's there and he's all alone and a woman comes to him and she's getting well, uh, water at midday. And that indicates to us that she was a bit of a social outcast. You see, you women know how it is. <laughs> if you're going to do something, you do something in a group. In a social occasion, it's like, let's go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> they do things together. I'm in Wellington Airport. My wife says, oh, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. She comes back with a new best friend. <laughs> So the idea that this woman is going to the well all by herself at midday means that there's something that's not quite right here. She's a bit of an outcast. She's an outcast. And she comes to the well and Jesus, who is a Jew, speaks to her. You see... Socially, that was unacceptable. It was unacceptable for them both to just be there alone. That was unacceptable. 
They needed really to make that okay some sort of relative there, some sort of chaperone. But she comes and Jesus speaks to her and he says, can I have a drink? And it's almost like she says, look, you know the rules. Why are you asking me for a drink? Even if I give you a drink, you would become unclean if you took it. I'm like a leper to you. And then Jesus says, look, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink because I could give you living water. Living water. And she doesn't quite get it, does she? She goes, but, but it's such a deep well and you don't have anything to draw with. How, how can you give me this living water? And Jesus said, the water that I give you is different. If you have this water, you won't get thirsty again. In fact, this water will well up in you like a well unto eternal life. He was talking about the life that comes through faith in God. And right there, Jesus divides mankind and he says, look, there's only two people in this world. There's those who are thirsty and those who have living water within them. And sometimes it's really important for us to remember that, isn't it? There's two types of people. There's the thirsty and those who have been satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we all live in the world and you walk in the world like I walk in the world and I see people and I see, man, that guy looks like he's got it all together. I mean, look at him. He's got cars. He's got a nice family. He seems as if he's got it all together. And our society tells us that if you look good, you are good. If you look as if you've got it together, then you are together. But Jesus right here says, look, it's not like that at all. You're either thirsty, you're either thirsty, or you have the living water through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The people that you rub shoulders with day to day, the people who you love, they could be thirsty. If they don't have Jesus, they're thirsty. They live their life, and from the outside, things look great, but on the inside, they are searching for something that will fulfill them, something that will satisfy them, something that will give them true meaning. And that's what this woman was. She was searching. She was thirsty. And she says to Jesus, give me some of this water. Now you or I would have thought, whoa, she's asking to come to know Christ. But Jesus asked her a very important question. He said, go and call your husband 
Go and call your husband. To which she replied, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus said, like Jesus says this, this isn't her carrying on the conversation, this is Jesus saying, yeah, I know you don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands and the guy you're with at the moment, he won't even marry you. I wonder what you feel when you hear that statement. You see, when I hear that statement, I think, man, that's one broken woman. That's one woman who has had to endure rejection. That's one woman that's had to put up with a whole lot of misery in her life. You see, it could have been from her, her own doing. She could have been promiscuous. She could have been. We don't know that. doesn't say. It could have been that there had been a lot of trauma in her life. Husband after husband may have passed away and she may have been left. It may have been that in those days the divorce laws were being diluted and so, as some commentators say, you could divorce a woman because she made a bad meal. But it doesn't matter what you believe about the reason for her five husbands, all of us know that going through that would destroy you. The rejection the absolute trauma associated with broken relationship. What we do know is when we see her, we see her as part of her society. And in those times, a woman found her security and her place in a relationship with a man. Your significance was wrapped up with being in a marriage. Who you were was related to your being married in that society. You see, even in our society, you don't have to go back too many generations where the same was true. A woman got their significance through their husband. My own mother-in-law used to receive mail that was written to Mrs. Garfield Sproul. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. In my grandmother's generation, in my grandmother's generation, it was the depression and often people would be left with kids all by themselves and they would look for somebody to marry to support them in difficult times. This woman knew her, she knew what rejection was, she knew what brokenness was, but the amazing thing was that Jesus didn't reject her. He didn't judge her. He accepted her and he had come to meet her. He'd come to meet her.
that divine appointment. You see, we walk with people who have endured a lot of hardship, a lot of trauma, and in a lot of ways this world has chewed them up and it's spat them out. And it's really, really important that we just don't rush in to offering a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we ask them, what is it that you've been doing to get by? This Samaritan woman, her water was relationship with men. That's where she found her security. And so often with the people that we deal with, we have to find out where is it that you're going? We know that you're thirsty, but what is your water? What is their water? What are they going to? To try and fill the void that only Jesus can fill. What is it? What is it in their life? I was just so encouraged by Craig's um, um, testimony this morning. It was awesome, wasn't it? And um, the way he just um, talked about being smashed by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. You see, when we talk to people that we work with about uh, their life, and we we say, "So, so what's been happening with you? Quite regularly, they'll give testimony to God turning up for them. You see a divine appointment or a God moment where God has come and he's met with them. I had a 23-year-old guy who came and he was living with us for a while. He was putting his life back together and, and he was a real party guy. And he used to do drugs and he used to do alcohol. And and it was all within the context of a party. And then all of a sudden he was doing it and it wasn't really in a context of a party anymore. And then he found that he was just doing it kind of every day. And he can remember a set time in his life he was like six deep in a a box of ciders. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. He was by himself and he was just overcome with an emptiness in himself and he just didn't really know what he was going to do. And in that place, God came to him. And he says that I was just sitting there and it was like this warmth came over me and I felt God. But I didn't feel God as a judge. I didn't feel God who was have, as somebody who was having me on. I felt God as somebody who loved me and accepted me and gave me hope. That's awesome. You see, that's God. And that's the experience of the Samaritan woman. That's the the experience of the guy that I was working with. And he didn't become a Christian at that time. No, he didn't. But that was a first step in his journey 
to coming to know God. Other people came into his life and said a word here and a word there. They don't even know uh, the impact that they had on him. But he came to know Jesus. Because in the real difficult times, God showed himself to him and showed that he loved him. You see, it's really important to know what people's water is. What is your water is a valid question to ask, or it's a valid thing to look for when you're dealing with people who don't know Jesus. Where do they go to fill the gap that only Christ can in their life? Is it relationships like the lady at the well? Is it their work? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it chocolate? You might say, look, I've never really been into all of those things. That's not really me. It's interesting, the most prevalent addiction in the 21st century is called destination addiction. Destination addiction. I know that I've suffered from it. Destination addiction is when you say, look, um, you know, I'm really going to change my life. My, my life's really going to change when I, when I get a girlfriend. I can really see myself, you know, me and my girlfriend, we're, we're really going to, we're just, we're just really going to get my life together then. Or when I get my license. Or when I get a job, you know, um, when I get a job, it'll be so much easier when I've got a job, I'll have some money. Or when I get married. Or, or actually, I'm really going to get things sorted when we have kids, because, you know, uh, being a parent, you've really got to sort yourself out, um, you know, for your kids. It's interesting, I suffered from destination addiction. I was brought up old school. <laughs> that, that's a good thing. <laughs> but being Irish, I, I think, had a little bit to do with it too. Um, I was brought up that, you know, I wanted to get married and my dad would say, well, if you're going to get a canary, you've got to have a cage. <laughs> so it's like, that's code for you better buy yourself a house, you know. And, and so we bought a house and we couldn't really afford it. And looking back, it wasn't a good time to buy a house. It was 1987, the interest rates were 20%. <laughs> that means your principal doubles every five years, for those of you who don't know the, the math. Um, and the destination addiction that I got caught up in was that I've got to be freehold. My life will be so much better when I'm freehold. And my wife, bless her, um, and myself, we lived like absolute paupers for four years and we lived off the smell of an oily rag and put everything on our mortgage. And it was driven by me and this addiction to thinking that my life would be sorted if only we paid off our mortgage. And after four years, we paid off our mortgage. And I can remember... I can remember the day that I paid off my mortgage. I walked around the house 
I looked at it and I was devastated. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. Destination addiction robs you of the present in exchange for being unfulfilled in the future. What is your water? What is your water? Are you thirsty? Or are you looking at things to fill the gap in your life that only Jesus can? In verse 19, the Samaritan woman comes to Jesus and she says, You're a prophet. Our fathers say that we should worship here. Your uh, leaders say that you should worship. You should worship at Jerusalem. What's the story? And Jesus says, Look, it's not about religion. It's not about religious practice, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she said, look, I've heard that when Messiah comes, he's going to make all things right. And Jesus says, the guy that's here right now is Messiah. I am, I am he. I am Messiah. The disciples come back from getting food and they're shocked because here is a Jewish leader, Jesus, alone with a Samaritan woman. The PR guy from the disciples is starting to get a press release ready. (laughs) (laughs) And it's at that point the penny drops for the Samaritan woman. She realises that this is Messiah. She realises that this was a divine appointment, that he met her, that he knew her, that he accepted her, and that he loved her. And he was here, there for her. And her life changed. She accepted him. She came to faith in him. And the natural outcome of that was that she went to her village. It's interesting, you realise that she left her water pots behind. That's just a little picture of, hey, I'm not thirsty anymore. I'm not thirsty. My thirst has been fulfilled. I'm full. I have a spring of living water in me and I've got to go and tell somebody about it. And she went back to her village and she said, come and see this guy. He's telling me everything that I ever did. And you know that she's changed because everything that she had ever did was once shameful. But now, everything that she had ever did showed people the saving power of God. What had once been something that she hide now was ministering to people of the graciousness of God and what he can do in a person's life. You see, she just kept telling people about Jesus. She told her story. 
And the villagers came, and they, she had such an impact. These are people who rejected her, but they saw that something had happened. And they said, whoa, Jesus, can you just stay here? And he stayed for a couple more days. And more and more people came to know him. Isn't that awesome? They came to know him. And in verse 42, it's just such a relief for me, this verse. Because it said, and they said, we don't believe anymore just because of your testimony. What you said. We need, now believe because we have heard him ourselves and we believe that he is the Son of God. It's interesting that she kept on telling her story. Historians will tell us that she had a tremendous influence in Samaria and in that village. Some say that her impact was about the same impact that the apostles had. She just had a tremendous influence because she was a changed woman and she was happy to tell people about it. You know, there was a guy called Nero. He rose up. He rose up. And he started to really uh, torture Christians. He rose up and he really started to um, persecute them. And in the light of that persecution, she didn't shut up. She just kept telling people about what Jesus did. History tells us that she was martyred by Nero for her faith. She was thrown down a dry well. She was thrown down a dry well. You see... This is where we get to tin tacks, really, isn't it? Coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which I hope you have done, makes us want to share that with people. And that's one thing that that Samaritan woman did. She shared with people what had happened in her life. Now, not everybody in this room is going to have to die for Jesus. But we're all called to live for him. We're called to live for him. You know, we can't save anybody. But we can love them. You know, we can't save anybody. But we can tell them our story. You see, we can't save anybody, but we can witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. Jesus saves. Amen? Jesus saves. Do you want a piece of this? Do you seriously want a piece of this? Because Jesus wants you to be his hands and his feet. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we just...
want to tell you that we love you for what you've done in our lives. You've transformed us. You've, you've loved us when we were unlovely and you continue to love us. And oh Lord, I just pray that what you have done for us will encourage us to speak of you to other people. We ask this and pray that you will help us to do it. That you will give us the words at the right time. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.